Helps if the mic is on, doesn't it? O Corinthians, we have spoken open to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's pray this morning. O Lord, as we come to you and we look at your word, first of all, God, we ask that your word would change us, that your word would accomplish what you sent it to do, that you would have your way in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, where we haven't been studying your scriptures as you told us to, that sin of omission. But Father, we come to your scriptures now and we say we know that it is inerrant, it is holy, it is perfect. And Lord, we ask that you would renew our minds by it. That was one of your promises. And we thank you for it all in advance in Jesus' mighty name. The strong Son of God and the church said, Amen. Today we're going to talk about three keys to growing to growing in Christ, to growing in life. Three keys to building the life that God wants. Now, these are not the only keys, but these are three of them. To grow, we must open ourselves to God's Word, not yoke ourselves to unbelievers, and continually strive to look like Jesus in our inner self, in our inner man inside. First of all, we need to open yourself completely to God's Word. And I mean completely. Where it says not to do something, you don't do it. Where it says to do something, you do it. 2 Corinthians 6.11 says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our hearts are open wide. It is not our affection, but yours that is restrained. As a fair exchange, I ask you as my children, open wide your hearts also. Now when Paul had dealt with the Corinthian church before, we found that they had turned from him to false teachers. And he addressed this before and was received. But I would imagine not everyone and certainly not received by the false teachers themselves. So I'm sure there are some who would rather not take Paul at face value anymore. They're just not going to listen to him. You know, this happens a lot today in differing churches and denominations and where people speak and they're following false teachers and you just can't seem to reach them. And Paul states that as the founder and father of the church in Corinth, so to speak, that he has spoken openly with them. He has not hidden anything from them. Why would he? Why would he? Luke chapter 12, verse 1 says, In the meantime, a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another. 
And Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, and he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, and nothing hidden that will not be made known. What you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. Have you ever had someone, even in church, say, say one thing to your face and then go around behind you and say another thing behind your back? You know what that's called? That's called backstabbing. Yeah, I think we've all been there before. And some of us here today have been the person doing the backstabbing or the gossiping. Do you know gossip is a sin? I'll just let that sit in for a second. Leviticus 19.16 says, You must not go about spreading slander among your people. You must not endanger the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. In other words, don't do these things. Why? Because I said so, and I'm God. That's kind of put a, puts a good stop to it right there, doesn't it? Well, God said it, so that's probably a good idea if I don't do it. Could gossip and slander endanger another person's life, you think? Some people will say, nah. Well, it depends on the information. It really could. So God just says, don't do it. You know why? I'm the Lord. Done. That's enough. Should be enough for all of us. Sometimes it's not. James chapter 4, verse 11. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And if you judge the law, you are not a practitioner of the law, but a judge of it. Ephesians 4, 29 says, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building up the one in need and bringing grace to those who listen. That's a good one. I'm going to speak it again. Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up the one in need and bringing grace to those who listen. So what should a Christian do when there's, there's strife in the church or there's strife in their lives between themselves and another believer instead of gossiping to the whole church about it or gossiping to the world, even worse about it, gossiping to the world, because you know that's going to get around. How about what should they do? Well, they should follow what Jesus said. Well, what did Jesus say, Pastor? Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. In other words, have nothing more to do with him. If there is one thing that I wish Christians could get way down in their soul and their spirit, way down in there, in the inner man of, for Christian living, it's this selection of verses right here in Matthew 18. This tells us what to do and how to handle two Christians that are having disagreements with each other. And don't tell me it don't happen. I've had it happen where two Christians, two deacons were upset over five feet of a sprinkler head. One wanted it five feet that way, the other wanted it five feet this way, and then it almost split the church. That's not very spiritual, is it? Always something. So instead of handling their disagreements, going to the pastor, going to the elders, um, they, they just decided, 
to gain followers. I always thought that when they split, they should have named the new church the first church of the sprinkler head. But that ain't what happened. (laughs) Paul doesn't stop there. He continues. And so now what Paul is asking the people in the Corinthian church to do is to just be open and honest with their own selves, with their own hearts, with their own lives. Especially in what Paul's about to write to them. We are commanded several times in Scripture to examine our lives to make sure it lines up with the Word of God. Here's just a couple of them. In Philippians 2, 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Wait a minute, you mean I'm supposed to do everything without complaining or arguing? Well, what am I going to do on the weekend then? Some of y'all get that on the way home. So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine as lights in the world. 1 Corinthians, if you remember that, when we were in 1 Corinthians 11.31, now if we judged ourselves properly, we would not come under judgment. Where have we seen that before? Hmm. Could that have been this morning when we took communion? But when we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. You know, I got a couple of quotes here. One by Albert Einstein, believe it or not. He says, a true genius admits that he or she knows nothing. And Patrick Henry said this, For my part, whatever anguish of spirit it may cost, I am willing to know the whole truth, to know the worst, and to provide for it. Number two, do not yoke yourself with believers, with, uh, with, only yoke yourself with believers, not unbelievers. Yoke yourself with believers only. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership can righteousness have with wickedness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement can exist between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell with them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. What a strong statement. The maker of the universe wants to dwell with us and in us, and he does for the believer, and he walks with us. It reminds me of that old song, he walks with me and he talks with me. He tells me I am his own. I'll stop singing because I can't sing well. For many years... We Christians have used this verse time and time again talking about marriage to not be unequally yoked. But you know what? We were right. You know what else? It's not just talking about marriage. That's not that all this applies to. What if two people are thinking of starting a business together and one is a Christian and one is not? Guess what? The answer is no. But but he's got all the money. No. No. 
Jesus said no. Why? Because the heart of the Christian will not reflect the heart of the unbeliever. You are diametrically opposed. You have two different worldviews. One is a Christian worldview and the other is not. What do you do when your partner wants to do something illegal or unethical? What do you do in that point? Well, now you're kind of in a, in a, in a problem, aren't you? Sneaky situation. As a Christian, those kinds of solutions shouldn't even enter your mind. So we don't do them. You and I are the temples of, of the living God, the dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. Why would we join someone who worships idols? Do you know what the largest idol in the world is right now? Money. That's the largest idol in the world. It all comes down to money. 1 Timothy 6.8 But if we had food and clothing, we will be content with these. Those who want to be rich, however, fall into temptation and become ensnared by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now, follow this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. There's a lot in that reference. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. It's not money, it's the love of money. And it's not the root of all evil, but it's all kinds of evil. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Notice that it does not say that those who have attained richness will have this problem. For sure, a bunch of rich people have this problem where they just crave that money and they serve their money as their, as their God. You know, it reminds me of that old cartoon. Anybody ever see Scrooge McDuck? with your kids maybe when they were growing up. He'd jump into his rich coin bin and just swim around in his money. And he craved his money. It's all he wanted was money. There are people out there that are actually like that. I don't know that they swim in their money, but they're out there like that. And you want to know a little, little dirty little secret? Most people that are worshiping at the altar of money don't have any. They're poor. A lot of poor people worship at the altar of money too. They're constantly trying to get money, even the rich and the poor. They have their schemes and it's, it's always on their, on their minds. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So what's a Christian supposed to do? Where do we find our treasure? Well, in Matthew 6, 19, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. If you don't believe me that moth and rust destroy and the, and the world takes over things, look around us. You ever seen an abandoned house? Just two years out, it's already got stuff growing in it. Moth and rust and the earth, and they just eat up the things that we place our value in, doesn't it? And then it says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart 
will be also. So what happens when a Christian hooks up with someone in business, or, and this is just an example, business, how about a close friendship or a marriage who, who is worshiping at the altar of money? Well, you'll find major conflicts of interest there, won't you? That person will do anything for money. If you get the right price, they'll do it. You ever heard the, and this is a ridiculous term, every man has, his own, has a price? You ever heard that? Yeah, Jesus didn't have a price. Did you notice that? He went to the cross willingly. They're going to find ways to get their money, even if it means breaking the law or doing something unethical. This is why God says not to yoke yourselves with an unbeliever. They will test your patience, they will test your morality, and they will test your ethics. They're like two oxen yoked together. One is going one way and the other another way. You know what happens? They're both frustrated with each other and no one gets anything done. I remember one time this couple in the church broke up because the wife had an affair with another man in the church. And they came to his office and he pulled out the Bible and he said, all the reasons there should be repentance. And you know what their answer was? But we love each other. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're in love with sin. And I don't believe one of them was saved. So they yoked themselves with an unbeliever. Folks, we should never, ever rely on our feelings and emotions when it comes to decisions. We rely on the Word of God only. What does God's Word say? Oh, but this looks like a good opportunity. I could make a lot of money. Uh Uh-huh. What's the Word of God say about it? This looks like a good opportunity. I'll be working less hours. Great. What's the Word of God say about it? Oh, yeah. Did you forget about that? Number three, don't give up on becoming like Jesus. Too many Christians have given up on becoming like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 16, or 6, 6, 17, I'll get it out there. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, beloved, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles body and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Fear there means reverence. Fear there can also mean fear. We need to recognize how big God is, and we need to revere him for how big he is. God calls all of us to a life of holiness, to a life that looks like Jesus, to a life dedicated to Him first, then your family, then your job. That's God's holy order. Dedicated to Him first, then your family, then your job. And when any of these priorities are out of order, so will your life be. You cannot walk in Christ's sanctification. Sanctification just means cleaning up process. You cannot walk in God's cleaning up process without having Him first in all things. All things. 
You know what? Those of you that are married in the room, if God's not first, your marriage ain't going to work well. I'm going to tell you that right now. If God's not first, you're not going to have a good marriage. If you're putting that other person before God, God may punish you for that. And then you become just weird. <laughs> Nothing else to say. Just weird. Because it's wrong. You become weird. And not the good weird that the Bible says. The Bible calls us a bunch of weirdos. You know that, right? But you're going to have a miserable life. That's right. God must come first. And, and I love my wife. Sometimes she'll just look at me. She goes, you said God's leading you that way? I said, yeah. She goes, did you eat any kielbasa last night? Because that don't sound like God to me. So I'll stop and I'll do some more praying. <laughs> she acts as a good check. How good was that pizza last night? You got some heartburn going on there? You know. I don't know why I went there, but we shot the rabbit, brought it back, cooked it, ate it. First uh, Peter one thirteen tells us, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because... I am holy. Well, why should I be holy? Because God said to. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That's a good reason. What happens when I, or, or if, if I fail in this command? Well, you get right back up on the horse. You ever heard that? You get right back up on the horse. I went down one time years ago on my motorcycle. And luckily I was only doing about 20 or 30 and I ended up, you know, in, in the grass which is good, because concrete hurts, in case you ain't figured that out yet. That's why it's concrete. Um, one, one, pre, one, uh, one deacon said to me, he said, uh, well, you've been down once, you may as well get back up on it, because you've been down, you've done that, you've done and got that over with. Let's move on. I thought that was interesting. But you know what? He was right. I got back up on it. <laughs> Get right back up. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For though a righteous man may fall seven times, he still gets up. But the wicked stumble in bad times. John 17, or John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 starts out this way. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And here's the part, folks. Here's what the Christian does. Ready? When he fails. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. You know... Anyone who tells you that they no longer sin, men, put a hand on your wallet and arm around your wife, because if he'll lie to you, he'll steal from you too. Can a sin that just keeps hanging on day in, and I get asked this a lot, and day out, year in and year out, frustrate us and make us want to give up 
Oh yeah, yeah it can, it can. But as Peter said, in, or, but as John said in John six sixty eight, well, John wrote it, Peter said it, but Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Whom else can we go to but Jesus? Besides, when you don't repent on your own, then God has to do what every parent has to do from time to time and spank you. And, and trust me, he does it. I have had plenty of spankings, and, and hopefully I won't have to have plenty more. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says, Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take lightly the discipline of the Lord and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you do not experience discipline like everyone else, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Furthermore, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Should we not much more submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a short time as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in His holiness. To grow, folks, remember nothing, remember this, as the ladies come. To grow we must open ourselves to God's word completely. Not yoke ourselves to unbelievers and continually strive to look like Jesus in our inner man. We must look like Jesus. Where are you today? Sometimes we start out a good and, and end up not so good sometimes. 